me. Like I said, all the guys, it's not me that's getting in the USA and I'm the big contract, but I get as much joy from seeing these guys getting now, in. Have you actually been on the mat, right? Or, or, where, or on the court or on the field and done the hours to get good? I believe that we're on the threshold, one of the greatest transformations in biomedical science um, that we'll ever see. And you've got to be in the right place at the right time, but if you're not physically or mentally ready, then it doesn't matter if that right time and place come or not. You have to be ready. And I think that's always the case. People don't like the resources. They just like, they like the resourcefulness. There's a 120 millimeter rocket that slammed into the side of the building. Welcome back to Breaking the Norm. In this episode, we have Daniel Dimmock. Dan is an immunologist specializing in the lung area. And in this episode, we go through the vaccines that are currently being developed, conspiracy theories, and what he's currently researching. At times in the podcast, the science can get a little bit complicated, but stick with it because you'll get the general gist as we go through. Enjoy. Dan, thanks for coming on. Um, I wanted to get Dan on basically because he's my go-to guy for anything to do with uh, science that I don't understand, puts it in layman's terms. Um, Dan, can you give us an introduction to your background? Yeah, so I'm an academic associate. I'm at, at Trent, so that's a joint teaching and joint PhD research um, position. So my PhD side's in immunology um, of the lung, but looking at uh, how microRNAs, so they're small RNA se- sections, um, can activate these viral sensing RNA receptors in the immune system in the lung. And we'll get into that. Well, yeah, I was going to say, we're going to get into what that yeah. means because that's just gone straight over my yeah. head. But basically, yeah. uh, it, it sounds quite close, to, especially in the lung, probably quite well linked to what we're going to go down the rabbit hole with COVID and stuff. Um, yeah. So I wanna, I'll want i start off with this COVID situation. Um, obviously, news of a vaccine. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? And then we'll go into the wider pandemic in general. So what's your thoughts on the current vaccine? How does it work? What is it? Are we all going to die? Yes. So hopefully we won't all die. Uh, <laughs> but no. Yeah. So I'm really excited about these. So they're an mRNA vaccine. They're brand new. It's a new technology, um, but it's actually like quite, quite safe. Um, and so I'll go into what we call the central dogma because to understand what mRNA is, you kind of need to understand how proteins are made and how genes are translated. So a gene is a DNA section uh, for a particular protein. To translate into a protein, you create like a copy called the messenger RNA. And then the messenger RNA comes out of the nucleus of the cell, goes to the ribosomes and gets converted into a protein. So what these messenger RNA vaccines are doing is we target the proteins of the virus so we can pick specific targets on the virus um, create the messenger rna to make that protein and then inject it into the cell so the cell then makes that part of the virus without the rest of this kind of infectious virus um, so the cell makes its own pro- the protein that you've injected and into so is a theory that they give you this safe bit in theory your body creates yeah. antibodies that will defend against the whole of it? Yeah, so an antibody only ever targets a, a part of a virus or a part of a protein. 
So that's called a, a, the targets that epitope of a, of a protein. So we can select, there's different proteins on the surface of the virus. So there's a spike one. There's also like, uh, there's an E protein and M protein. We're just given like different names, but the, the main one's the spike protein. So this spike protein is what gets the virus inside of the cell. So it's, it attaches to the target cell and then it basically uh, allows it to be internalized because viruses are a lot, lot smaller than cells. Okay. Um, so, so they need to be taken inside the cell where they replicate. So the spike protein is what we're targeting because luckily from SARS and MERS studies, they kind of already saw, because um, they're related to COVID, they saw that the spike's the most important target for antibodies. So all the vaccines we developed this year, most of them were looking at the spike protein um, because that's the one we know that's effective to create antibodies against. So they've selected that, picked the messenger RNA, so the, the code for the spike protein, and then that's, that's the target we've got. So, uh, so they've sort of, because I've had a, a, quite a lot of people are basically saying, this vaccine's come around too quick, I'm not taking it, um, all that stuff, they, they're trying to kill us. We'll get onto the conspiracies later on about being tracked, even though we all carry around a mobile phone which constantly tracks us, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so the vaccine, it come around so quick in theory because I'm guessing one, they've thrown so many people at this, um, and two, but what it sounds like is they'd already identified a route for this type of vaccine in previous viruses, is that correct? Yeah, so we already had an idea of what we needed to target based on studying SARS and MERS. Um, the, the delivery systems for these, so the mRNA, so the messenger RNA, um, it's not very stable outside of outside the cells, so it gets degraded quickly. So we need a way to deliver it. And the delivery systems have been tested and were shown to be safe. And with the what you're doing with the messenger RNA is you're only ever expressing a part of the virus anyway. So the likelihood, as long as the delivery system seems quite safe, like this isn't an absolute because you still have to test it, but it, it is the risk is a lot, lot less because as long as the delivery system to, to like envelope the messenger RNA so it's stable, deliver it to the target cell. Um, as long as that bit's safe, the likelihood of the messenger RNA creating a protein that could cause any more side effects than the virus itself is really, really small. Yeah, because that's what, that's what I'm thinking is, I'm quite skeptical of a lot of things. Um, we'll get onto it later, but the risk of COVID, I'd probably rather take the risk of the side effects of a vaccine, which so far seem to be headaches and things than the risk of getting COVID or giving COVID to my family. But I want to talk about the side effects as well. So I know in the one study, I think I messaged you about this a while ago. So there was spinal inflammation, um, but I think that person had undiagnosed MS to start with, didn't they? Something similar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that they had MS and things like this do come up. Uh, people, especially in big wide trials, people get naturally sick from other things. 
Um, so that, but they still have to, they can't just presume that it was MS, they have to stop the trial and investigate, make sure if it wasn't because of the vaccine or, or yeah, find the root cause of why that happened. I think it doesn't help with the sensationalist media as well. Because I saw, I think it was in Brazil, someone died during a trial from something unrelated. Um, and then I think it was all just someone's died during the trial and everyone's like, look what this vaccine is doing to you. Um, yeah. as, as far as the yeah. vaccine goes, like the way you just explained it, it still confuses me. So I get people, I see it online and people are saying, oh, tell us what's in it. But the thing is, we wouldn't have a clue what it is anyway. It's like... I suppose the experts are paid to do this and then obviously you don't want to have blind faith in people because some pharmaceutical companies aren't very ethical. Um, but for this to be as bad as a lot of people make out, you'd have to have people all the way down the chain, all the way from the labs to the CEO involved, would you not? Yeah, yeah. You'd have to have so many people in on it. Um, this is, so have you ever heard of Occam's razor? I have, but explain it. Uh, so the the kind of philosophical um, idea that the it's normally the simplest explanation to a, a problem is the the likelihood of of that's probably the real one. So rather than like say with nine eleven, um, <laughs> we're off the, down the idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. But like the idea that the idea that. Um, thousands of people worked together to put like um, bombs in there or, uh, and managed to keep it all a secret and all this, like there's so many working parts to that theory that well, have to be People together. can't, like the government couldn't keep lockdown a secret. The, the brief got leaked within like a couple of days. Yeah. You, you see that all the time. Uh, the, the thing, I, I want to get back to a couple of points about the vaccine because yeah. I've written them down, but um, while we're on it, like people, I was saying to my friend the other day on the phone, People are, on one hand are saying this government's incompetent and can't plan anything, probably correct. Um, and on the other hand, they're saying they're mastermind criminals that are involved in this brain control conspiracy. And it's like, you can't have both. They can't be both at the same time. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so it's looking quite promising on the vaccine front. Um, but why do we need the vaccine? Like some people are saying this is nothing worse than the flu, which I get to a certain extent when you look at total numbers but i'm guessing if the lockdown wasn't put in then this could have been a lot worse um why why is this virus different how does it work and why should why should people be wary of it yeah so with we've got um quite a few studies now looking at deaths and you can you can just look at how many uh, deaths we've had in the country like 50,000 50, officially Seven, around over 70,000 excess deaths, so more than the average for the year. That's way more than a flu. Um, the IFR, so the infection fatality rate, if you take loads of different studies, is around 0.3%, um, which is about 10 times higher than the flu. The problem is as well, IFRs are calculated based upon full healthcare resource and access to ventilators. And this is where the big problem is, is like healthcare capacity, really. Yeah, because I guess so we don't... We've, got, we've got beds, like they've built these nightingales all over the country, but I don't think we've got the staff or the expertise to man them. No, yeah. So in, an intensive care unit is exactly that. It's intensive. They require like 
from, from what I understand, like, I've read a bit of clinical stuff, but um, like one nurse can look after like two, three intensive yeah, my care. My sister's an intensive care nurse. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and it is intense. Like she tells us some stuff and they're literally running across to people. Like these guys, it's not just a case of someone's just chilling on a ventilator. Like there's a lot going on to try and keep people alive. And then you've got one person crashing, you're running back and it takes a while to train these people. So I suppose even if we have the beds, you haven't got the staff to keep the people alive on the beds. Yeah. And also if you have a high community valence, um, the nurses start getting it out either in the hospital or outside. And then that brings down your um, amount of available workers. Because you don't want nurses going in positive and like being infectious on the so- we were saying this is a lot more in, uh, contagious and infectious. Um, does it just, I, I got very limited science knowledge. Is it just because the virus replicates itself so quickly? What is it? Uh, yeah, so there's a few factors. Uh, it's quite, a big part is the, like with flus, there's a, a certain level of immunity within the population, um, be it, acquired through natural infection as probably a lot of us already have um, young people or we, or we do do vaccinations for flus each year for healthcare workers and the elderly and um, so there's a level uh, i think that is a big part of it it's just, it's, just it's so it's, new there's no there's nothing there's no antibodies out there no one's had it yeah yeah um because it, this is obviously going to come around every year now isn't it yeah yeah this will be endemic for quite a while but with the vaccine being so effective, it, like not ninety-five percent, they both come out at. Um, that's actually really good in terms of we could probably get it, um, dependent on the uptake of the vaccine and how long it lasts. But we could theoretically reduce like the, uh, the deaths, maybe below three, but also prob- just because as well, we'll probably be so active in our vaccination programs and but the issue measures. is for a vaccine to work in a certain percentage of the population to take it don't you yeah, yeah. i don't think we're gonna get <laughs> based on, based on what i've seen on facebook anyway um so what's your opinion on lockdown then is it needed uh, um especially at the start it was um because people didn't have a clue um the about what it was doing, there could be long-term health effects, which it looks like there are, but it, it could have been cancerous, um, well, like oncogenic, which causes cancer. Um, there's all these sort of questions. Um, so the first one was definitely needed, especially with how quick it was filling everything up. The second one, I, I mean, if is a track and trace should have been a lot better that was a big thing <laughs> that was an expensive spreadsheet yeah yeah running track and trace off an excel crazy yeah no yeah. but but saying that uh, the seasonality of this is quite um like it affects it so much the weather and there's not many kind of western countries doing well uh, like, it, but I suppose Germany, Norway, and Finland have, are doing quite well. Germany is back into lockdown, but compared to if you compare them to us, they've done a lot better. Is that is that uh, comparative with the populations? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. Per, per, per capita. Yeah, but the, I mean, there's there's so many factors. 
but to answer your question yeah go on sorry yeah with with lockdown it's it, uh, obviously the more you reduce people people's interactions the uh the less chance it has to spread the more it brings it all down exactly. and it, it did seem the strategy was have a look where hospital capacity was nearly hitting or where they were panicking and then try they were just throwing those areas into tier three lockdowns so like liverpool manchester because i kind of realized that with with nottingham we had extremely we had like the highest rate when all the students came back but they only threw us into tier two because i think they were looking at hospitals and then once the hospitals started filling up they threw nottingham into tier three and then, then they realised it was just happening all around the country, all the hospitals. Yeah. Were so then, they would, yeah. But I get, I get the hospitals. Um, obviously, we need to keep the hospitals under capacity because otherwise, obviously, normal things like heart attacks and things won't get treated as well if they're completely full. But do you think there's too... Well, you've probably got to sit on the fence a bit on this, but do you think there's too much focus from... A virologist point of view so obviously if you've got these people advising the government their whole job is to stop the virus spreading which is what they're going to do so everything that gets brought in is going to try and control the virus just like in my day job i work on the commercial side so my focus is on making sure that the costs are down and the contracts are correct but somebody else on the delivery side all their targets are set on hitting the delivery targets so if you've got people that are focused solely on stopping a virus do you think they're taking into account the wider impacts that could potentially also damage society as a whole. Like I did some research the other day, the average life expectancy in the poorest areas of this country is 74 years old. And the current average death age of COVID is 82.3, which is above the normal life expectancy anyway. Now I'm not saying COVID is not dangerous. I'm not saying we shouldn't lock down. I'm saying I can see why people might get frustrated that they're probably being plunged into poverty, wiping years off their life. For something that's killing people that are older than their or their life expectancy already, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, but with Sage, so that's the scientific um, advisory group for emergencies, I think. Uh, so they're who advising the government. They do have. They're not just. They have epidemiologists, but they also have like cancer experts. They have all the health side, and but they. I mean, the government's. You've definitely got economic advisors who are just. No, I know that, but I mean yeah. from a political point of view. So they're obviously yeah. got these advisors, but all you see on the news is death rate, and that's all they're going to try and control in theory, isn't it? Deaths and cases, because that's yeah. what the politics is almost driven by. I don't know whether there's just too much. I can see why people are reluctant to listen if they're on minimum wage, losing their job, being put onto, what was it, 60%, the, the latest one uh, of what they were yeah. earning? Or job seekers, you'd have families ended up in bed sits. I do see why it's difficult, but I know there's got to be a balance. I just think. Yeah, but that, I mean, those things you can remedy with um, economic measures. So, like, like the, the furlough scheme was good. Well, it's good, it's still going. Universal basic, basic incomes, you could try, trial for a bit. It'd be a good, good chance, really, to trial something like that. Um, that's I don't think that's ever going to happen in this country with the way that means. Not, not, this, not this government, no. Um, but they might be forced to, because, I mean, the, there is, like, the economic um, 
arguments for it and it does seem to have a good benefit um maybe this i mean there's certain they've said they're not going to do austerity to recover from this so maybe they've learned from the last time but then again they could be lying and they probably are lying <laughs> <laughs> well i suppose the issue is that you need to recover you need people to spend money and you need the economy to yeah. and if you go that route people aren't going to spend money it's the same i saw people saying about oh they're going to have to increase taxes but if anything i think they'll probably actually cut vat to increase spending they need yeah. people to get out and spend money um, yeah yeah so I, I think it's obviously a very difficult position to be in um but with with the arguments I was just putting across then being devil's advocate, um, I've seen quite a lot on Facebook of people just claiming this doesn't exist. Now, I know me and you both, um, we both trained, how we met was we both trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's a very close contact sport. I've not been back yet because I just, sim- I just simply don't know enough about this. Um, and I think everyone should be allowed to take their own risks. Um, I just don't know enough um, and I'd rather train in pods. But I see a lot of people just say this doesn't exist. Um, what what would you say to try and convince people um, that we need the vaccine and basically they're wrong? Um, yeah. So the, I mean, obviously education, just trying to, well, they they're getting their information. They're, they're, people who actually don't believe it exists at all, I actually think that is the quite a fringe. It's more like the people in the middle who question that so they yeah they know it exists not, they not, don't think it's bad yeah yeah that i think that that's the the main kind of worry um but, but yeah i think people who don't sorry go on mate there's a bit of a lag here so i keep not realizing when you're about to go go on no i was just thinking like when people are that extreme it's quite hard that they need like deep programming um same with well I want to talk about it in a minute, but same with like flat earth yeah, or geocentrism where they believe that earth's the center of the solar system, things <laughs> like that. They've, they've rejected most modern science and reality and you've got to find out why they've done that. But I, I think people get switched off though. And I can see, I can see why it happens is because first of all, people think, there's different like research to you you're doing a phd and you're teaching science students at uni your level of research is a lot lot different to someone who thinks they're researching but they're not so like obviously you'll look at peer-reviewed studies and things like that and there's there's evidence based it's all cited and you've got the sources whereas i was watching a thing the other day and i don't think people mean it they've obviously got something in their head that the world's against them and they'll find, so there's a woman that had got the box of one of the AstraZeneca vaccines and she Googled the ingredients and she'd got it up. And I think I messaged you about it. One of the ingredients was first found in a 14 week old fetus baby, but that's, yeah. that's how it was first found. There's not a production line of 14 week old fetuses getting mashed up for vaccines. You know, it's like replicated in laboratory environments, but she's just got on Wikipedia and seen this, this thing and been like, Oh my God. And she obviously doesn't realize that, that's she doesn't know how to interpret that and then that spreads like wildfire around the internet and just fuels all these conspiracies over and over again yeah um i guess with so with her case though there's people have these um kind of beliefs of mistrust and because you can't educate everyone on on 
what recombinant DNA or no, exactly. recombinant RNA or, or the concepts of that. But what we could do is try and tackle at a society-wide level um, mistrust and the, try and understand the reasons why people like go against them. So there's a conspiracy that goes around um, a video that I saw that kind of lists all of Pfizer's um, kind of shady things it's ever done in the past, which it, it's got numerous. It's got it's done loads of bad things in the past, but a lot of them aren't so much to do with um, explicitly dangerous things that have gone past all the scientists. It's more the company has like advertised it for off-brand. To, to garner money, and this is a problem, is like big money in pharma, especially oh, yeah. in America. Especially in America. Um, but I was thinking with that video of like listing all the things Pfizer do, does, I, I was thinking of making it actually. Um, doing one for, for McDonald's and having the, the scary music and then being like, <laughs> so, you, so you'll put a burger in your mouth from these guys who destroy the rainforest. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the one thing that annoys me is, and I, this is on the, on probably other people that are anti lockdown and things will agree is you've got a lot of people that never once cared about their health. They'd yeah. eat their self into an early grave, smoke their self into an early grave, drink, increase their risk of cancer tenfold, Alzheimer's, everything. They increase their risk for everything, but now it's out of their control. They're having a meltdown. Um, and I'm hoping that'll be one of the good things to come out of this is that maybe they realise that they've got to look after themselves as well. Um, there was that meme of somebody like that was severely out of shape shouting at a kid that was playing football for risking her health and stuff. And it was just like, yeah. I was just like, that is what's happening at the moment. But um, I think with, with, the, with the conspiracy theories, like you've got quite a few, like Johnson & Johnson, um, another example, uh, not a very good company. They've, they've lost a big lawsuit. Um, to do with token powder they were mining it next to um arsenic reserves um so people were getting ill um and they lost that and there are some un unethical things they do but it doesn't mean that everything that big pharma does is wrong like a lot of us have probably been saved using stuff from big pharma you know yeah um but people just focus on the small things so bill gates i think he saved so many people he could just go and sit on a beach and retire and not do anything for the rest of his life but he's trying to do good things. And there's a case in one of the countries where they accidentally, there are a few cases of polio caused by the vaccine. Yeah. yeah. And people get that little clip and then they'll say, oh, look, they're, they're purposely infecting people. And it's like, well, if you save millions and maybe accidentally infect a hundred, is that good or is that bad? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's another, um, this is why we need to teach philosophy at schools is like, but that's a concept of utilitarianism. Yeah, it's exactly, like yeah. taking the taking the decision that, that causes the least amount of harm. It doesn't cause no harm at all. But if you if you have a drug that causes like one in ten thousand deaths against uh, a disease that causes like one in one hundred deaths, it's it's a no brainer. It's the same. It's, it's, what, what's the thing they used to describe utilitarianism? You're on a train on a track. And yeah. you're gonna you're gonna hit say ten people, or you can turn off the track and kill five. Which do you choose? You'd obviously yeah, have yeah. to choose the five in theory, um, yeah, yeah. even though you play a part in that. Um, but I just think I can see 
I can see why things get cut up. So there's another one about Bill Gates talking about population control and everyone's like, look, he wants to control the population. I'm like, yeah, but so does David Attenborough. And we don't want to go after yeah. David Attenborough, you know? Right. Um, it's just people get snippets and then it's sensationalized and it gets put into echo chambers where everyone just hears their own thoughts. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, uh, oh yeah, that was what I was going to say with, with, with the trolley and utilitarianism and, and kind of medicine. It is true, though, uh, that we're not fully utilitarian in medicine. Um, we, we do kind of the certain procedures. So one, a good one would be organ transplants. Um, so it might be that five people are waiting on uh, organs. The, the best thing that you could do to save five lives would be to kill one person and get all their fresh organs. So to a, le- <laughs> to a level, we... We're not medicine isn't fully utilitarian. We do we do actually consider the, the procedure as well. Um, it, it, so it, it is, yeah. But as far as as far as vaccines go, you've mm. got like with the current vaccine that's there. I just don't understand. I'd be skeptical of just taking something that has just come out about so quick. But the reason it's come about so quick is because the amount of people and like you say, they already had it. Basically, the the background. To build upon um yeah and i just think the the downside to taking it is you might get some headaches what what, what else is there you might feel sick for a bit um mm. something else you're not being controlled you carry around a bloody phone with you every day that tracks exactly where you've been they don't want to know where deborah's been between the hours of three and five bill gates couldn't care less um yeah. i just think there seems to be a thing like where the world think people like to think the world's against them and that there's some massive group of people in control where really it's all just chaos yeah 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 <laughs> um, so yeah this is where so i'm working on my theory of um conspiratorial epidemiology is what i'm calling it what's that um, in, what's that what's that in plain english <laughs> so the so epidemiology is the study of um how diseases come about how they spread public health measures to to kind of um, prevent them um, and yeah like who's vulnerable um, so this idea is that conspiracies should be taken seriously within public health um, and monitored in the same way as we do with diseases and like the more I think about it there's a lot of parallels between conspiracies and viruses and yeah so like um, how they spread is an obvious one it spreads exponentially um so one person will share it to like four people and then so on and so forth till you've got thousands of people believing it um there's a a, a concept in epidemiology called k number and that's a measure of uh, how many how much that particular disease is spread by super spreaders so covid's most of the the um, infections are actually driven by a small amount of people, be it because they they don't follow restrictions, um, but there's also like they just put out a lot more virus. So I think it's around ten percent of people drive eighty percent of infections. Um, I think you can apply that same principle of trying to judge different conspiracies on if they have like cults all have one leader who recruits loads of members. So 
thick rib conspiracy cult QAnon. So I'll delve into that in a bit. But that that's that's got one by well one or or several different anonymous sources who post and recruit. But then there's influencers, so the QAnon influencers who also recruit. But things like anti-vaccination movements, they'd have what we call a, a higher Q, uh, K number because those are spread more evenly. So they're, they're spread on quite a, by everyone. There's not so many like prominent um, single anti-vax kind of recruiters. So I think if you were taking this seriously as an epidemiology, you could rank different conspiracies on like who's spreading them. And then in uh, infectious disease epidemiology, that will change how you um, tackle that disease. So we try and identify super spreaders, why they, why they become super spreaders, and then enact public health measures against them. So I think in conspiracy, if you could do the same with conspiracies, it's like um, identify super spreaders, try and understand like what we can do to stop them spreading it. Um, I think the issue then is though that you feed I I agree but then if you shut people down you feed into that narrative that there's a conspiracy to stop them spreading the truth and then it just gets stronger and stronger and it's a bit of a a, I think the the issue with the anti-vaxxers is their conspiracies conspiracies have a direct impact on everybody else because yes yeah yeah so this is where we we measure what we call virulent so Virulence in viruses or infectious diseases is a measure of how much damage they cause either to the body or like healthcare systems. If we, most conspiracies, the same way with most viruses, most respiratory viruses or are benign, we can let the, like, we let the cold spread, we let the flu, like, generally, there's a few measures against the flu. Um, but common colds, we just, we let it rip kind of thing. And the most sort of conspiracies around, say something like the moon lander isn't a very virulent conspiracy. There's not so many real world harms that come from someone believing that. But if, if I was a, an epidemiologist and I was looking at anti-vax, so that's got more implications. So you, you take the same way you would with a virus, you take more public health measures against ones that, towards harm so you could measure different types of harm um, like whether it inspires people to violence um, certain ones certain conspiracies do whether they don't engage in public health or take vaccines that's another harm Uh, whether people isolate themselves from their families because some conspiracies like encourage that of like putting yourself off uh, from others yeah, there's. I mean, there's so many parallels. I'm, I'm like right. That's this actually week. quite a good thing to link together. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like so. So another one is um, with strains. So where you have coronaviruses, you have flus. There's different strains that pop up. So you have different um, yeah strains within those species. With conspiracies throughout history. There's some really common ones that kind of prey on our kind of innate psychological fears. So uh, QAnon is the the big one at the moment that 
there's a lot to it, but at its core is there's an idea, there's a shadowy kind of puppet of puppet masters of satanic um, child pedophiles who harvest children for satanic rituals and drink their blood to get um, special powers. Now, it's a bit of like a, there's loads of other conspiracies in there. And the idea is that Donald Trump is locked in like an eternal battle of good versus evil against this battle of um, evil satanic people. It's normally just Donald Trump's political opponents. So like Joe Biden, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Ep- Epstein, because they've always got a grain of truth to a conspiracy. And like, obviously we with what Epstein did. Um, well, this, that... this, this is the danger though, isn't it? Because people, you've got two parties. You've got people that say anyone that believes in any conspiracy is a tin foil hat wearing nut job. And then you've got any other group that will believe any possible conspiracy that exists. And the truth's probably somewhere in the middle in the fact that like, so let's pick an example of, I know uh, there was, there was an island uh, where people went to, Epstein's Island pedos did go out there um but if you said that before before that all got found out i'm like what do you mean there's an island where all these rich people go and sleep with underage kids you know everyone think you're a nutter so then because that's happened or because a few other ones have happened i know certain people have authorized false flag attacks that didn't happen um things like that because they found a few that did happen they think that that means that every conspiracy theory they can think of is real yeah yeah and it just it's just fuel in it i think but then on the other side you've got people that deny anything has ever happened and you, you've got to take each thing as it comes i think but the conspiracy world's just getting ridiculous yeah. like for like we'll, we'll talk about covid again for covid to be a conspiracy of the elite you've got to have the chinese elite the russian elite the american elite all these different elites working with each other if they're if that's all what they want and that's that's not what's happening is it no, and they don't want to crash the economy, which is what's happening. Like, they just want everyone working. Yeah, so that one of of child um, abductions of and satanic blood rituals is actually really common throughout history. So in the 80s in America, there was something called the, the satanic panic um, when cults were... It was kind of a counteract because there was a lot of cults in the 70s and then... Satan, there was like little media stories about Satan worshippers and um, some nurse, there was like a, a kind of child sexual abuse scandal at a, a nursery and it just spiralled out of control through all media hype that Satanists were killing children and drinking their blood for rituals and if you go further back in history um, so it, that was one in um, certain World War One and World War Two propaganda, the idea that um, the, the Germans or probably vice versa, they thought about us with killing children to have their blood for um, hours or rituals. In medieval England, um, there's something called the blood libel, um, which was, it was an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that the Jews were killing children, drinking their blood in rituals. And it led to like the persecution of the Jews for hundreds of years in medieval England. The Romans um, 
when they were persecuting Christians, exactly the same thing, uh, that Christians were killing children and drinking their blood. So this would be a type of, a strain of conspiracy that preys on this innate kind of psychological fear and it mutates to, to the environment that it's in. Um, so another, another strain of conspiracy, so say that that would be like a flu. Another one is the idea of like um, something in the air making us sick. So 5G is one. When, when radio was first invented, people thought that was making them sick. Uh, mobile phone masks, like people say, oh, I don't have the, mo- the mobile phone's going to give you like testicular cancer. Um, but even before, when, in fact, when we didn't know how diseases were spread, there was this idea of, they were called miasmas. So they're bad, it's like bad gas, basically, that spreads. And the idea was like just disease spreads by this bad gas. That, that, so that's another invisible force that causes illness. So that would be another strain. And then you've got shapeshifters and things like that. That is such a good parallel to draw. Um, I, I, I suppose the, on, the, on the whole conspiracy thing as well, uh, chemtrails, for example, I know loads of people believe in. But, but there have been cases by America, where I, I read about where people in a certain town started getting um, more frequent nosebleeds and things like that. And then someone tested the ground, and there were higher levels of a certain compound. But that was in a very small area where it could have been government testing out stuff on their own people, or it could have been private company testing out things, you never know. But that doesn't mean that every single chemtrail, in, well, every single line in the sky is a chemtrail that's trying to poison you, you know? Um, yeah. But some of, the other, some of the other conspiracies then, what have we got? We've got moon landings, we've got flat earthers. Um, yeah, flat earthers. But those, those, so that's what I'd class as like more benign, because they're, they're not as dangerous. Um, and then... But you can't eradicate it. No, no. It's one of those viruses then, that you can show them the stuff and it just won't disappear. No, no. But then you, you like ultimate dangerous one is kind of Nazism and fascism. The idea that uh, the, the Jews are, are, are ruling the world and then that you need to do whatever to stop that. Um, so, so that one originates from something I think is called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which... I mean, anti-Semitic conspiracies have come for years and years, but in Russia at the start of it was like 1905 or something, someone said that they'd heard all these, um, they, they had like, they knew the plans of what all the Jews wanted to do and they, they kind of codified it, saying that they want to rule the world for whatever reasons. And the Nazis adopted those from that Russian writing and those beliefs and Nazism is essentially like a conspiracy at its like most violent and destructive um, end, end goal. So that, that's like the ultimate, that's how bad a, a conspiracy can get and it can infect everyone. Um, I think that's the worry of um, with QAnon is it's looking kind of quite violent and quite the, the idea that the military is going to arrest or kill all your political opponents is quite a, a, a worrying one um because well, what... by this I, i'm not i don't know a lot about biden i've seen a few things which i found a bit odd because 
where he's copying the, the speech of the Welsh, uh, the Welsh MP. Have you seen that one? <laughs> Honestly, it's word for word the same as the, the then Labour leader um, talking about his forefathers down the mines and Biden's used it about 20 years ago, um, copying it word for word. Um, so there's things like that I find weird. Is he going to be the, the devil that everyone says? Probably not. Uh, but Trump seems to be fueling... I, I'm, not, I'm not really into sensationalism, but it looks like it could get quite violent over there. Um, you've got a lot yeah. of armed, you've got a lot of armed people that are very entrenched in their views, and there's a guy peddling stuff on Twitter, left, right, and centre. Uh, I think it's yeah. bit, it could get a bit bad. Yeah, because did you hear about the the um, kidnap the plot to kidnap that governor, the the head of I think it's Michigan, um, Governor Whit- Whitmer? So there was this militia group that had fully armed, had a plan and everything, but the FBI stopped them. Uh, they were going to kidnap her. Um, they had three different plans. One was to kidnap her and execute her. Um, there was another that was to just storm the... There's, there was loads of them as well. They'd be quite a big militia group. They were going to storm the Capitol buildings, like the, gover- the governor buildings, and start executing them in the buildings, all the, the things. And they they were all kind of MAGA crowd. Um, it was I think the lockdowns fueled it, like because they didn't believe that the virus. They thought it was all the control, um, but and they wanted the freedom against this control thing. So well, the control thing it confuses me a bit because you've got people saying, "Oh, wearing my mask, taking my freedom." It's like, well, we can't walk down the street naked. We already have to wear clothes, so we're not that free. Um, it's just a yeah. little bit of a mask and it's not that much of a hindrance but with the Trump stuff I think the issue is as well like he, he has as much as an idiot as he is sometimes he does good things he does a lot of bad things mm. sometimes he does good things but you've got people on both sides and the division gets worse because people just say every single thing he's ever done is ridiculous and then other people say he's the messiah and he needs to stay in office forever you know um, it's just getting more and more divided um, but with the science side of things, then how does it work? Because you've got Trump, you've got Trump that doesn't really seem to care about the, the virus too much, even though he got it. Um, and in our country, there uh, people are a bit lax. But the funding that all comes from the government, doesn't it, for this research? Um, some, some of it. Um, there are there are a lot of private companies who are investing in it. Um, the yeah, so I, I think. Operation Warp Speed in America, basically the, the government picked a few companies and said, we'll cover, if, if your vaccine fails or for whatever reason, um, which a lot do, like mo- most kind of research fails, that they'll cover the losses. That's one reason why we've been able to like get it out so fast is because the government was the government in America said that they'd take the losses of any failed um, vaccine trials, and also so normally money is one of the biggest factors in money and risk in developing drugs. Um, so I used to work in clinical trials as well, so I know a bit about it. Um, so they said that well, like normally you'd, you'd probably like run one arm of a trial. Um, kind of check if if anything happened there as to minimise your risk because there's certain arms that you can run parallel to each other 
so looking at in different populations something we've been able to do is run like kind of throw the financial risk of paying for these studies and it, it not coming to fruition it's like run like five arms of a trial all at once um so like five different studies within that trial that was a big thing whereas typically it, when money was a focus and they were going to lose money they wouldn't have done that yeah yeah that, that's, that's probably one of the biggest ones is the financial risks been taken away um the, yeah that is do you probably... think then so should the profit should there be a cap on the profit if you've if you obviously i know they can justify charging lots of money when they've invested all that all the upfront cost and the risk but if the risk is reduced do you think they should cap the profit margin um i suppose that, that's a, a question for an economist um, <laughs> obviously you probably know my uh thoughts on uh kind of unabridged capitalism <laughs> anyone who follows me on social media um ideally yeah but if if, if it gets the vaccine out quicker they will but yeah I, i'm not i'm not i don't really give it enough thought um to answer conclusively <laughs> you're sitting on the fence there yeah yeah um, um, i've got a few more things that I wanted to go over. So your, your blog, Immunopolitics, um, yeah. it, it's, give a bit of an intro first and I'll ask you a couple of questions. Yeah. Um, so I, I started writing at the start of lockdown just on different um, topics. Main, yeah, mostly like politics and science related. Um, they take quite a lot of research <laughs> and like alongside my own so I've only got three out at the moment I'm working on my the, the fourth so conspiratorial epidemiology um, but I, I think I'm just going to because I'm putting loads of research into that I'm just going to try and get that published by an actual website so I'm, saying, I'm like trying to speak to some people to get that published but yeah I just started it during lockdown and people um, seem to quite enjoy what I was putting out there. I, I quite enjoy it. I think from the, the political point of view, you've just mentioned you're, you're probably a bit more left leaning. Would, would you say? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, quite. quite. Uh, I'd prob I'm probably not. I think, um, but there seems to be like we, we've seen people we both know saying that everyone that goes to university is turned into a Marxist, basically. Um, I, I didn't really have much room to turn into a Marxist looking at commercial contracts. I don't know where that would have come in the lectures. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not sure where you would have looking in a lab. I don't know where that would have happened. Um, yeah. But there seems to be a bit of a thing that anyone that's gone to university and comes out is, is a lefty. Um, but do you think uh, that politics has played a big part in this current epidemic? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to, especially at the start when we didn't really have the science um, at the time, we didn't really know. So, any, I mean, and I mean, in any sort of decision on a countrywide level is inherently political, whether it's on the side of science or, or not on the side of science. Um, so it's hard to say. Like I, I suppose it, it's all, always going to be political, um, but I think what we're seeing more is partisan, the problem of partisan um, political decisions where it's, it, it's, there's a lot of issues we should just be united on. 
that become like this side or that side. So especially like the obvious ones are climate change. Um, luckily, not not so much here, but America, where everything is like there's always two sides to an issue that there shouldn't really be. Yeah, we we all seem quite united on climate change in this country. Yeah, yeah, generally like there's definitely arguments of like it could be done faster but um yeah you don't get as bad as america's just where to look at for extremes in everything um yeah so it's when at the moment things are a lot more partisan uh, whether that's there's the social conditions that kind of breed um, unrest and partisan politics is has happened so like wage stagnation especially since, since 2008 uh, around the world things got better for a very select group of people so you'd like the personal wealth of some of the billionaires is just insane and though whereas like everyone else's wages are stagnated and that breeds these kind of Unease and civil unrest, and like people are, are kind of becoming more ideological um, as a, a reaction to these. Because uh, I, I think we've all got, we can all identify problems on the left and right if you just want to put them on a spectrum. We can all identify that like people aren't having as good, like people's wages aren't going as far. It's just the kind of um how we deal with it is people are really divided on that so yeah i think most people have the same core hope that whichever side of the well there are some psychos on both sides but on the whole i think everyone just wants the best for everyone else but they've got yeah. different ideas of how that would happen um yeah so like i think on across the globe i'm reading the book at the moment and it basically puts into um figures the current about everything basically and across the globe um on the whole more people are entering what you'd say middle income so acro- across the globe but on, in our yeah. country in our country obviously the rich are getting a lot lot richer um just seen um by some of the top ceos that are making a fortune when people are still working on minimum wage in those companies um but i don't know how that would i think you've got to have a safety net for people and you've got to try and make it fair but I also think that maybe a strong economy lifts people up sometimes as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, And I'm just not sure how I'm sort of on the fence. I think I'm quite center. I I can't stand some of the stuff that some, I see some Tories saying, I can't stand some of the stuff that I see um, on the left. Uh, It's just, I think, I think most of the country is probably in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, But I think the idea that, we, we seem to oh oh i thought you froze um so the the idea that um some of the more left-leaning economic policies are damaging so um overall just isn't doesn't tend to be true um like if people who's to get a strong economy you need people spending yeah so one of the best ways is to just give like poor people spend the most they're not going to hold on to their income so if you increase policies that give poor people more money, um, they, they put it back into the economy more. But um, they, they could also get that through tax cuts, potentially. 
Yeah, but I mean, their, ta- their tax on their income is really low anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think maybe something like a kind of negative income tax rates. So that's like top ups to a certain threshold. But that there's problems in that where it's um, kind of like corporate welfare, it, it justifies companies having low wages because the government will just pick up the slack. Um, universal basic income is the one that people seems to be the one that that's kind of the most straightforward to implement and is hard to argue against yeah. because it's, ev- everyone gets like their 500 a thousand pounds a month to live um, it's hard to argue against that because you've especially still got the- if you especially if you remove the other so like the administration of the benefit system for example cost of fortune um, yeah if you had a flat rate and removes a lot of the other benefit type things it could work out the same cost um yeah probably a lot yeah more yeah definitely and these these kind of left lefty policies actually do um grow the economy more investing in green jobs is a good one so like that the green economy is going to be huge um i've started looking at shares for stuff like lift <laughs> Like this, like this is so. This is I'm not like a very good lefty now because I'm uh, getting Looking into child shares. child mind uh, lithium and yeah. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, things like so. I'm looking at batteries um, technology companies, and their um, yeah, their shares have gone up so much. Like yeah. they're really good for the economy. Um, yeah, but I think there's, there's a split though, isn't there, between left and right economics, and I think left and right social policy as well. Um, yeah, like I think it's just getting a bit crazy on that side of things as well. Um, and I think there seems to be a bit of infighting in both sides now between because you've got people that would say be left uh, regarding eco- economics, um, maybe not so left regarding certain other things. Um, so I suppose but the, the issue is when you've got two parties and you can only vote for one or the other. And I suppose Labour's not even that left wing, really, is it? Yeah, not in the, the kind of grand scheme of where it could be. Um, yeah, the, I think this is where the, the culture wars have really have been really effective because it, it finds issues that divide us online, that make us interact a lot online. And then the politician will wield that. Um, kind of divide people. So the a good example is the, the Black Lives Matter protests over the summer. That is a, a partisan, like should be a non-partisan issue if you look at um, jails and things like that. Uh, incarceration rates are a lot higher. Um, they're more likely to put in stop and search, like 11 times more likely to be stop and search. There's just, that's not, that shouldn't be a partisan issue. But what we found divided us and became the issue was statues. So that entire movement, um, it all become this really, whatever, all the online conversations kind of only gravitate towards what gets a visceral reaction and gets the most engagement as a dividing issue and like the most arguments in the comments. And that became... um, statues and 
the, the whole movement was never about that. There was like the, the thing in Bristol, um, that was a local issue and people have been campaigning for years down there. Um, it nearly, it'd been meant to, like the council was thinking about tearing it down anyway. That was a lo- very local uh, the, issue. The, the, the thing about the statues gets me is people go, we're gonna, you're going to forget your history. It's like, we don't walk past statues of Hitler in Germany. Uh, we yeah. haven't forgot about him. Uh, yeah. But I, I think that, that this, this links all the way back to the virus and everything now is that people don't take on views from both sides as well. So I think online, I, I, I got a bit like some of my friends uh, and people I know on both sides were going a bit mental online. So you had people on one hand saying that every single possible thing that could ever happen that was bad to somebody uh, from the BAME community was the the problem, the the fault of the white person. And then you had people on the other side saying, uh, it's all, it's all your own issue. There's nothing wrong, blah, blah, blah. Whereas really, like you say, especially in America, you have uh, underfunded schools because the tax system and you've got low property prices um, because they were prevented from getting mortgages until, late 60s i think it was so there's no generational wealth obviously less education leads to more crime more crime leads to uh more incarceration and then the 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 cycle continues but you've also got the sentences which are a lot higher higher there's quite a few examples of that but in this country people couldn't say oh yeah fair one like uh maybe there is a bit of a glorification of gang culture but there is an issue that needs addressing they just say oh well look at look at gang culture and it's like yeah but that's not the whole issue is it Um, no no it's probably the same with these vaccines. Oh, look, Bill Gates gave six people polio. It's like, yeah, but that's not the issue, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just... Yeah, it's, I think, yeah, when we're online, that it's only the issues that kind of divide people that drive engagement. Um, and these have been kind of wielded by... Trump and the Brexit campaign kind of pioneered them. 2016 is like finding issues... Uh, online and like the social media culture war um, as as like a really strong political tool. Um, yeah. But I think that, that that once again was, I think there are very solid reasons not to like the EU. And I think there are very solid reasons to like the EU. But anyone that didn't like the EU was called a Nazi and a, a OAP. And anyone that did like the EU was called a lefty snowflake. And it was like, well, you, there are valid reasons like some countries in the eu aren't doing too well um and there are reasons for and against but i just think everyone has got so partisan that it was just name calling no one listened to the facts and it's probably the same with covid now it's the same with everything is like people are picking a side and sticking to it um, yeah and not really listening to what other people could potentially say yeah but, but i guess the, there's probably the the silent majority who do lie in the middle um it's just we only interact with the people who are being vocal um so so that that's the problem and then especially around cultural issues where there's not it's a lot more complex than say something some like hard science even though those do manage to be partisan um where like really complex historical or cultural issues it's easy to just like divide people based on their internal biases. Um, and yeah, I mean, they've just been kind of weaponized uh, all these culture wars. On, but, the, on the Brexit front, um, what's happening with science funding? Because I saw, I think quite soon after that they, they did secure quite a bit in British government funding, didn't they? Did they commit quite a lot? 
Um, yeah, I think so. Because we did, so when I was looking for my PhD, uh, most of the, it tells you the funding and like pretty much all of it was um, European. So it was like a European yeah. money. Um, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm not too sure what's going on with the British um, science funding. Um, I hope they match it the same, um, but I'm going to guess they probably <laughs> Well, you, you, you'd think they would, because in theory, if they were putting the money in and they're not anymore, they should have the money left to, to commit the same amount. But, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Well, what are you, what are you researching currently then? Um, I know I've got a few little bits to put down. Um, you mentioned, I'm not going to be able to pronounce them, exosomes? Exosomes, yeah. Exosomes. Is that what you're researching currently? Yeah, yeah. So the official title of my project is uh, microRNA uh, mediated activation of cell-like receptors 7 and 8. So, <laughs> it's a mouthful. Yeah. So cell-like receptors 7 and 8, they're viral sensing receptors, so they detect RNA sequences of viruses um, when they're inside the cell. Now, we found out that, like, the body's own RNAs, sequences, so not messenger RNA, they're, they're smaller ones, hence microRNA, they, they can activate these um, receptors. And the kind of, what I'm looking at is, is this forming a kind of signaling network? So are cells that are maybe either being in, infected by viruses are they recruiting immune system signaling by pushing out exosomes with micro so their own rnas to activate the antiviral response through these two receptors and what's going to be the the, the purpose of that what, what if you find that that's the case so one thing so we we notice some of these microRNAs are upregulated in uh, cancer, not cancer, asthma. They are in cancer as well, but my focus is in the lungs. So there's ones we can identify that are upregulated in the uh, in asthma sufferers. So it's whether we could, what we're trying to understand why, because um, it's like a, an inflammatory response. It's like, See if we can identify which sequences of microRNAs are upregulated in asthma sufferers. So they've seen a few, but we're going to try and find like more. And then if, if you find that, could you, are they going to try and work on a cure for asthma or am I jumping the gun there? Um, probably, it, it, no, it's jumping the gun a bit, but it, it's, <laughs> it, it's one kind of building block in the wall. Um, like everyone's going to be doing these tiny small bits of, of asthma. Uh, it's very rare in science, like someone will just, you know, something. It's, it's hundreds of studies. Um, so it might be that we can use these to identify um, like uh, people with asthma before, like if we're unsure, so they're called biomarkers. So we could take a, a like a sample, but normally you'd know someone has asthma because they present with the symptoms but <laughs> they can't breathe <laughs> yeah yeah but there's there's different types of asthma so there's like five different types um they all present with a asthma 
we're thinking about it more as a symptom of different things that are happening molecularly um, rather than a disease that like you can't treat all those types of asthma the same way um, so it might be that the microRNAs that I find they're more active in certain specific types of asthma which would change which steroids we give um, so maybe we could use this in diagnosis um, of this it's trying to like understand if it's that specific type of asthma. Um, then I've got this hypothesis that you can use the microRNAs that I look at in these new kind of mRNA vaccines because they stimulate the immune system. Um, we could add microRNAs into. Uh, mRNA vaccines as something we call adjuvants so they help recruit the immune system um, so that you produce more antibodies because especially with um, cancer so so a really cool application with um, mRNA vaccines is is against cancer so we can design something that they're doing is like you take a biopsy of a cancer look at what proteins are expressed on it compared to your healthy healthy cells get all the mrnas for those proteins and then put it into the mrna uh, mrna uh, vaccine but it's specific against that individual's cancer so it's so cool um and there's some good they only started trials last year but there's been some promising results um for melanomas so like reduced out of 13 patients reduced the size of the melanomas in six and created an immune response in all of them um, so That's you could have like, yeah you'd have specific cancer vaccines uh, but the problem with cancer is that it, it kind of evades the immune system uh, so we need to find ways to to like additionally boost the immune response past just showing the uh, the protein so you need to add different things to rec to like initiate the immune response um, so that's my theory is you could uh, use the some of the microRNAs I, I look at to these things to recruit um, more immune response and create strong like stronger antibodies against the cancer or whatever disease you're looking at that's pretty um, crazy imagine if we could start doing that with like most things you'd wipe out half the stuff that kills us yeah yeah well this so a lot of the vaccine scientists i follow and people mrna these mrna vaccines are a huge breakthrough like one of the biggest breakthroughs in medicine in quite a while um a lot of people are really excited myself included especially because it's kind of really relevant to my own field. yeah exactly uh, yeah, so the, it might be that there's a lot of other infectious diseases as well that we don't have vaccines to for whatever reasons. It's likely that we can now, now we've proved this technology works, we can much easily make these vaccines. They're a lot easier to make than traditional vaccines. Um, you can scale them up quick. You can, yeah, it, it's a, a massive breakthrough. Are these the ones where they have to be transported at a really low temperature though? Yeah, some of the some of the formulations it depends on how they've made their delivery system. So, 
lipid nanoparticles um, I think they have to be kept at minus 88 but Moderna who's made the other one theirs is minus 20 so I think they've got a more thermostable and that's based on this armor, uh, mRNA as well yeah yeah that's another mRNA vaccine uh, there's also ones where the delivery system is an actual virus where they kind of pull the genetic material out and put in the mRNA instead but it's a, a monkey virus so I think Oxford vaccine uses a, a monkey rhinovirus where they take all the genetic material out of it basically and then put in their own and then it self-replicates as well don't let the conspiracy um, theorists hear that Dan. <laughs> yeah this is this is this is a big problem is some of the the technology is quite if it's like it's got all the buzzwords of like nanoparticles and like gene yeah. therapies and we are entering this is the first kind of widespread there are other approved gene kind of therapies but this is the first widely used um gene sort of therapeutic we're going to be looking at um so we are entering kind of a new age of but it doesn't change our genes it's just a genetic material based um one but yeah we are entering a new age of genetic uh, therapeutics where we're gonna live forever maybe (laughs) it's that's theoretically possible i saw um well i listened to a few people recently uh but there's, 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 there's a lot of these rich people have doctors that are just specialists in just trying to make people live longer and some of the stuff they're coming out with is, is pretty crazy like if you've got the money at the moment there's there's quite a few advances that are coming out yeah yeah it's definitely um i mean it's because it, part of aging is your telomeres kind of dropping off and then it's theoretically possible that we could kind of inhibit that process yeah um, and yeah live a, a lot longer but I've also seen peptides being researched at the moment that can um, potentially repair brain damage uh, and things like that. And if you start going down that route, um, it's going to be crazy. Like the amount of people you could save, we get these vaccines for cancer, like you were talking about, you have maybe peptides that can reverse brain trauma and things like that. It'd be pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, exosomes for stem cell exosomes are really interesting. So, um, stem cell therapies one problem is the kind of amount of stem cells that you have to inject into someone and you get an immune response to them even if it's their own kind of stem cells um, that can cause problems but the actual exosomes that stem cells put out are just as effective at um, inducing regenerative properties in the in the target cells uh, because it like activates a certain downstream repair pathways in the target cells. Um, so there's a, a lot of people in stem cell and regenerative medicine who are like taking stem cells, but then just isolating the exosomes. Uh, would, that be, would, that, would that be cheap to do on a large scale? Um, I think I'm not, I'm not too sure. I think you'd have to, because I think at the moment it, you isolate the patient's own stem cells. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I, I, actually, the, so this is the good thing about using exosomes is that you could have like a general 
source for them because they're not as immunogenic um, because it's not like an entire cell. So you could potentially um, have a batch ready to go in simple terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the idea. But regenerative medicine, I, I've only watched a couple like seminars on that. <laughs> I mean, it's the future, isn't it? The way we mm. go in, just got to get past COVID first. Uh... Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm looking forward to when all, well, when the vaccine comes out, we get back to normal, but I'm just not sure if there's going to be much of an uptake, like I say. But um, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is where, uh, yeah, we, we just kind of need to really think about how we tackle these conspiracies and kind of get people in the middle, um, the vulnerable people, uh, and prevent, not like vulnerable to COVID, but vulnerable to conspiracies for whatever reason, um, or like uh, vaccine, they call it vaccine hesitant, so they don't they're not anti-vaxxers but they're just hesitant about this one it's like like, uh, half the stuff that you said is hard to understand so i don't know why people would be like if you present them with all the facts they still wouldn't know how to interpret it Um, yeah so at some point you'll have to trust that somebody knows how to interpret it if you told them all the things that go in a blue inhaler they wouldn't know what they are but they have to trust that someone's given the blue inhaler to stop them having an asthma attack Um, Yeah, yeah i just think at some point you've got to trust people to do it um but then again i'm not sure it's maybe ethical to force them to have a vaccine which they may have to go down the route of um mm. do you think the government would ever do that is that possible in science i don't think they've ever done that before have they they've uh, child, child vaccines you have to you have to vaccinate a child don't you or is that not that's not illegal I'm, I'm not i'm not sure off the top of my head i think i know in certain states in america they won't let like kids come to school unless they've like had measles measles jabs or, and things like that because last last year we lost our um it might have been 2016 we lost our measles free um yeah st- status in the uk because of anti-vaccine movements um and now there's there's been like there's over a thousand cases of measles a year in the uk um which is quite worrying There's something that we did eradicate yeah, yeah, so something we had, we had so long. Um, so yeah, it is a problem. But then I, I think equally, when people see the kind of damage of of like infectious diseases, um, if especially if like someone they knew, like a kid had measles, and they could see how horrible it is, then it reminds them of why. I think that's the thing when you're removed from the the outcome of this you're not like someone working in an icu ward is going to be much more scared of covid than somebody that's never seen anybody with covid or heard of it um yeah so if you're removed from it and then all you're getting is your information from certain sources on both sides as well like obviously maybe an icu nurse may be too scared of it because she that's all she sees um or maybe someone that doesn't do you know what i mean um yeah i think we're just gonna make sure we're getting our sources from decent places and actually understanding what's what's a real source and what's not yeah yeah yeah, we need to uh, teach people like the pyramid of evidence uh, of like which Facebook is at the very bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be on the pyramid because the amount yeah. of stuff that, oh, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's but, crazy. But, so, but saying that, I mean, because I, I, I do my posts on like sort of psych harm to try and like break it down. Um, I suppose you've just got to try and trust that source on that platform. Um, 
and kind of yeah it's, it's hard but this, so this i'll cover this in my um inspiratorial epidemiology is like how we develop a societal immune system against conspiracies and tackling like poverty is a big one so like poverty linked with poor education kind of intertwined um tackling those issues um, I, I do think we really should teach philosophy just for all the um rational there's a lot of like looking at rational thought and how we form arguments and things like that in philosophy yeah so i think i think teaching that is is really important um hundreds like I, I agree with that i think people don't know how to process things but also on the other side is you you'd have to be open to understand that maybe sometimes there are things that are dodgy because you can't obviously say everything's conspiracy because we all know what people are like um yeah so it's just finding the balance of how to assess that and maybe just taking a small snippet without a big picture isn't going to give you a very good view yeah yeah definitely where can people find you dan um so i'm on twitter uh there's daniel dimmock two don't don't look for daniel dimmock one because (laughs) he's an imposter (laughs) yeah yeah it's actually like a q and on conspiracy yeah yeah it's like a it's either a bot, a bot account or something. It says like military veteran. The Russians. Um, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> Russians. Um, so yeah, Daniel Dimmock two on Twitter. Immunopolitics for my dot uh, WordPress. So if you just if you just Google Immunopolitics WordPress, that should come up. Um, and then those are like my public kind of engagement ones. Um, <laughs> you keep the other ones private for now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Until you found the uh, the thing to cure asthma and cancer and all that lot, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> winning your Nobel Nobel Prize for science or whatever. It is. But, um, Fingers crossed. Thanks for coming on, Dan. Uh, it's been good. Covered quite a lot of topics. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Be able to check out immunopolitics. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed, please make sure to subscribe and share with your friends. If you're a new listener, please go back and check out our old podcast. We've got some great stuff in there from people in many fields, such as martial arts, business, ex-special forces guys, authors, the list goes on. Um, So please head back and check it out. We also have some very interesting guests lined up, so make sure to stay tuned. Uh, Thank you, and we'll see you next time.